Thank you for tuning in to Run It Like a Girl. The crew is currently busy preparing for Season 2. But in the meantime, please enjoy this rebroadcast of Run It Like a Girl's Top 10 Most Listened to Interviews. Up first, Red Cross nurse Bonnie Cairns. Bonnie Cairns has seen the best and the worst of humanity. As a nurse with the Canadian Red Cross, she's been called to the scene of natural and man-made disasters around the world, including Ground Zero, where she worked at a rest center for firefighters, police officers, and workers clearing debris. It was there that she had this heartwarming encounter. A young police officer came and, and asked me about where I was from, and I said, oh, I'm a nurse from Canada. And he said, are you a volunteer? I said, yes. He said, you've come all the way from Canada to volunteer here with us. And I said to him, if Canada needed you, would you come? And he paused and he said, I would do that in a heartbeat. And then he left. And about 20 minutes, he came back and he said, I wanted to give you something that's really important to me. And as I looked, I noticed that his shoulder, there was a couple of strings hanging from his shoulder. He had taken his New York Police Department badge off and gave it to me to take home to remember. Bonnie began volunteering with the Red Cross while working as an emergency room nurse in Sarnia, Ontario. Following her retirement, she dove in headfirst, with her first major deployment being to Afghanistan, where she worked as a nurse educator in a public hospital. Despite the dangers involved in some assignments and missing her family during long deployments, Bonnie says it's worth it. So why does she do it? I really, well, I know now, but I didn't know before I started. When I was a little kid, I just had a dream that I was giving needles to a bunch of people lined up, and they were tense, and I had nowhere, no, I didn't know where I was, but that's what I did. And I was about 10, and I woke up and told my mom I had the strangest dream. So I think I was just meant to do this. Um, you go to these places, and, and you come away with just this wonderful feeling of, of having helped somebody the less the most vulnerable in our world. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Bonnie tells us about some of the scariest, funniest, and most powerful moments she's experienced while on assignment. Find out how her family feel about her Red Cross work. And Bonnie has some words of wisdom for those who may be thinking about international humanitarian work. Bonnie Cairns on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Today we're sitting in beautiful Bonaco Provincial Park, where we're chatting with Bonnie Cairns, a nurse with the Canadian Red Cross. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Thank you. I'm delighted to be part of this. I'm very happy that you uh, agreed. You were actually the first person we asked, so that's pretty exciting for us, and we're so happy that you said yes. Um, so let's just dig right in. Uh, so you actually went back to school a little bit later in life to become a nurse. Quite a bit later. I went, I went back at uh, when I was 38 and graduated when I was 40. And I was kind of on a roll then after a, a two-year diploma program with nursing. So I said, might as well enroll in university. So I was the oldest one in my class and graduated from university. Wow, that's amazing. And so tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to kind of decide to go back to school. Um, well, even as a little kid, I wanted to be a nurse, and um, at first I went into the, um, the nursing uh, assistant program, so I did that for a few years. And then when my kids showed they were capable of self-care, which seemed to take a long time, but 
<laughs> then I went back to Lambton College at 38, and it was pretty easy because I had a wonderful support system. And that makes it a whole lot easier if you're going to do this huge thing in your life. So you, you gather your support, and you talk to them and say, this is what I plan to do, and can you help me? And they were wonderful. I pretty well stayed in the basement for two years. I take a pool cue, and I bang twice on the ceiling, and that means somebody bring me tea, please. Oh, wow. <laughs> so your family was very supportive. And so you, um, so tell me a bit about your early early life as a, as a nurse. Did you go straight into working with the Red Cross, or did you work? Uh, no, I, I worked. Uh, I did volunteer with the, work with the Red Cross. I think I'm into about thirty seven years now. So I, while I was work, I worked in emergency as an RN, and I worked with the Red Cross too, doing volunteer work. And then um, I was deployed a couple of times, and I would take holidays. I went to Puerto Rico during a her, uh, after a hurricane to look after people, and then you know, did this maybe two or three weeks, taking my holiday time to do it. And then when I retired, um, then I decided I was going to do something um, immediate, as soon as I could after retirement. And uh, I went to Afghanistan. I was there for six months. That was my first big deployment. And uh, I was in uh, Jalalabad, which is very close to the Pakistan border. And I was a, a nurse educator in a public hospital. Oh, wow. Tell us a little bit about that. What was it like working with the people over there? Um, the, the people were wonderful. There was a lot of, um, I worked mostly with men because women weren't allowed to work. And most of the women I worked with, or worked, the, most of the women that I came in contact with, wore burqas. So in this small community, women were not allowed to show their faces at all. So um, some of the, when women got to work, they worked on the women's ward. And when they worked all with women, then the women took all of the burqas and they were all, you know, all female doctors and nurses. And, and it was, it was really, it was a nice environment. The, the really sad part, um, working in emergency, um, one day I was walking through emergency and somebody just yelled, come here, come here. And, and I went over and there was a woman in a burqa who had been hit by a car. And it was um, um, a doctor that I worked with, a male, and he was a lovely man. And he said, can you help us look after this woman? So he goes behind the curtain, and I lift her burqa, and I can see that she's, um, she's unconscious, and she's been hit by a car, and I can't hear her breathing on one side. So I think a collapsed lung. So I say to the doctor, it looks like a collapsed lung. Come on, I'll stay with you, and you can put a tube in, and we'll get her going. He said, I can't. I cannot see her at all without her husband being here, and they couldn't find him. So they had to wait 15 minutes until the female surgeon was finished surgery to get down there. So I had to stay stay with her and try to, you know, keep her alive, keep the oxygen going until the female nurse. So some of those things were really hard to deal with. Very hard to deal with. Yeah. So I imagine you've seen a, a lot in your in your uh, career with the Red Cross. Very probably some very powerful moments and very. Uh, I, have, I call them moments that take your breath away. The best in humanity. And the worst. And the worst. Mostly the best and and lovely stories that you know will stay with me forever. So what do you think on, um, on your deployments, what do you think your most powerful experience has been? Well, this, this one is, is such a nice little one, and I often tell this story because it is very special to me. They had all of these kids who were, this was in, Pakistan, in Muzaffarabad, Pakistan, after an earthquake, and these children were all injured. And we did not speak the language of the children, and they didn't speak our language, and we're trying to ask them to kick balls and to play and move their bodies after they had after surgery. And so what I did is I taught the kids a song. 
The song was, it's a song you learned if you were a Boy Scout or a Girl Guide, you probably learned it. The song goes something like this. Lou, la, la, lou, la, la, lou, la, 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 lou, la. And the song goes on and on, and that's the song. And we taught it to the kids, and they sang it without stopping for four hours. But they kicked balls, and they, they moved, and it was great fun. And the session was over. That night, I worked the midnight shift, and I needed some baby aspirin, and I had to go over to the kids' tent to get it. And I'm looking through the cupboard with my flashlight, and I find the aspirin, and then I hear this little voice in the corner. Lula, lula. So I follow the voice, and here's a seven-year-old boy in a cot far away from the door, and I squatted down, and I took his hand, and we continued singing the lula, lula song together. Now, I say to people, we didn't speak the same language, but do you think we communicated? Wow. Yes, absolutely. Um... So maybe we can talk for a minute then, because uh, one of your assignments was actually after uh, 9-11. You were uh, sent to New York City. Um, Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, I tell you, I didn't expect to get get sent there, because I figured there's so many people in New York, they're not going to need a nurse from Canada. But But as it turned out, they were so involved, they really did need some outside people. So my job was right down near uh, Ground Zero, about three doors away, and we had a respite center where the workers who were clearing the debris, firefighters, um, police officers, they would come into this respite center um, every couple of hours just, just to rest and get away from what was going on down there. A young police officer came and, and asked me about where I was from, and I said, oh, I'm a nurse from Canada. And he said, are you a volunteer? I said, yes. He said, you've come all the way from Canada to volunteer here with us. And I said to him, if Canada needed you, would you come? And he paused and he said, I would do that in a heartbeat. And then he left. And about 20 minutes, he came back and he said, I wanted to give you something that's really important to me. And as I looked, I noticed that his shoulder, there was a couple of strings hanging from his shoulder. He had taken his New York Police Department badge off and gave it to me to take home to remember. Wow. Wow. That's pretty incredible. It is. Um, and I'd like to ask you, why, why do you do it? Why do you, uh, why do you go on these uh, um, deployments and assignments? I really, well, I know now, but I didn't know before I started. When I was a little kid, I just had a dream that I was giving needles to a bunch of people lined up, and they were tense, and I had nowhere I didn't know where I was, but that's what I did. And I was about 10, and I woke up and told my mom. I had the strangest dream. So I think I was just meant to do this. Um, you go to these places, and and you don't, you don't know more than the people that are there. You know often a different way of doing things. So you teach, you learn, and it's capacity building. They help me do something differently, and I help them. And the local people are very capable but mostly they're overwhelmed because of the incident, the earthquake or a hurricane, and so they need outside people to come in, and we support their efforts, and it's really a partnership, and we work together, and it's amazing teamwork, and you come away with just this wonderful feeling of, of having helped somebody, the, less, the most vulnerable in our world. And what, what do your family feel about it? How, how, how do they handle you uh, going where most people would not? <laughs> I think my kids are, are quite excited that, that I go, and my grandchildren especially, they, they just think it's cool. And what I hope I've done for them is that I, I want them to know that the whole world is out there and they can do anything they want. 
I know it was a long time for my husband when I was in Afghanistan for six months. I think he had a bit more gray hair when I got home, and I find out he watched uh, CNN a lot. Um, and, but I, we, back in those days, the old days of 2004, um, we didn't have Skype and, and those other technologies to keep in touch. We had email, and I would uh, call home twice a week. But it was, it was especially long for Peter. Yeah, I bet. And um, have, have these assignments, your international work, has it changed your perspective uh, or views on anything? I think I've seen some, some awful things and I've seen some wonderful things. I find when I get home from these assignments, I'm, it takes me a while before I feel like I'm doing anything that's important. You know, I think I should, be, I should still be there. I should still be doing this. So I have to take a breath and say, I've left it in good hands. Other people are taking over, especially 9-11. When I came home, I was working at the hospital, and I was actually teaching a WIMIS course. And I thought, there's so much more I should be doing. Maybe others have that same experience, but that was mine. So now, are you still working with the, the Red Cross? I am. Um, I don't do um, international anymore, At uh, sadly, for me. Um, I, I'm s- almost 72 now, but when you turn 70, they don't send you internationally. But I still do domestic, which is throughout Canada and the U.S. But I, I guess it makes sense. You've got you to gotta get out of the way <laughs> and let the kids have a chance. <laughs> let the ones coming up That's underneath. Right. So I'd love to know about mentorship with you, actually. And I know we didn't talk about this, but... Uh, I'd love to know, um, have mentors played a role in kind of your career in terms of becoming a nurse? And also um, the work that you do, And because I know you also, you volunteer with the Girl Guides of Canada. So what kind of, uh, what does mentorship mean to you? Um, I guess for me, when uh, I I was in the hospital as a kid and I had my appendix out, and there was this amazing nurse that, you know, came and, and took a lot of time with me because I was, I was, I don't know, maybe nine, and I was so afraid. And I thought she was the most, the loveliest person. And I asked her about nursing, and it was a three-year program in those days, and it, she made it sound like it was exactly what I wanted to do. And this was um, uh, a hospital in, in Sarnia. And in that hospital room, I got out of bed, and I looked over, and across the road was this little clinic that was a, a doctor's clinic of some sort. I remember looking at this clinic, and um, and my aunt actually worked at the clinic. And one day I was at the clinic, and I looked back at the hospital. And then fast forward 20 years, one day I was working the night shift, and I looked over, and there was the clinic. And I thought to myself, I have come full circle <laughs> looking out this window when I was, you know, nine years old, thinking I, I will be here someday looking out this window. And I was. And it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think uh, advice would you have for maybe young girls or women uh, anywhere that, you know, are maybe not in the right career or they don't know what they want to do? You know, thank you for that question, because I say to people all the time, if you don't love what you do, then change what you do. You should go through life loving the job you have decided to do. And And if you're not loving it, find something that you do love and do it. And I, I talk to nurses all the time. A lot of the nurses, um, my colleagues, would like to do this international stuff. But sometimes you have to give up something to do it. Sometimes you have to leave your family. Because your husband and partner is not allowed to go with you. You have to do this by yourself. And sometimes you're going into risky situations. And, you know, that it's not for everybody. But I tell them, um, it's a phenomenal experience. It's just kind of scary the first time, 
and after that, you know, that yeah. after that first initial time, then then it's his, as I say, it's phenomenal. It's a it's a wonderful adventure. Plus, you're you're um, looking after mo- the most vulnerable in society, and and you're making a difference. I was in uh, Haiti during the uh, cholera outbreak, and working in a, a cholera treatment center, just tents that we had put up, and a mom carried this little girl in. She was maybe five years old. And the mother is screaming, and I go over and I take a pulse, and I can't find a pulse, and I yell for the local people. Because the Red Cross is all about partnerships. It's about capacity building. I mean, if I just went there, started all the IVs, who's going to do it when I go home? So it's not about me doing what I do there. It's helping others, building their capacity to do the work. So I yell for help. A bunch of nurses run, and we start an IV, and two arms and two legs, and this little girl, and we're actually squeezing the IV bags to get the fluids in. 20 minutes, and with, without a pulse I could find, 20 minutes she opened her eyes and talked to her mother. <laughs> Say that the cholera is easy to treat, but if you don't get treatment, it's, it, it's critical, and, and a lot of people die without treatment. Wow. So it's organizations like the Red Cross that are going in and providing treatment that otherwise they just would have no chance of getting. Nope, that's right. Yeah. So I'd love to know. So I have two questions left, All I think. Right. I think the one is I'd love to know what's your favorite story. What's your favorite story over your career? <laughs> um, I think my favorite stories are the funny stories. Um, I had a, a camel knock out my front tooth in Afghanistan. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the stories I like to come back with. And, and, and um, uh, waking up um, to, uh, I thought, were AK-47s going off outside my window. I'm going... Oh, what am I? Why have I come here? And I hid, thinking somebody was coming after me. And the next day, I learned that whenever a boy was born, they would, the locals would shoot their guns into the air. So after that, I just hoped a lot of girls would be born. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I guess I think my my final question, which we kind of talked about a little bit in terms of help, what your advice would be for someone in career capacity. But if if you were to go back and chat with your nineteen year old self. What, what would that conversation look like? What would you say? Um, to, to do the career that I want to do now? Anything. That, just any bit of advice about your whole life, what you would Well, do. I had a choice at, um, you know, at whatever. I was in high school. I had a choice of French or typing. And I chose typing. I can type really well. But French would have helped. A second language is what I, you know, when, when nurses say, or, or just, I, I talk to students a lot. What will it take to do what you do? I say, Go for a second language. However, when I went to um, Afghanistan, they speak Pashto, so wouldn't you know help. French wouldn't have done me any good. <laughs> but if they look for a second language, um, start um, a Red Cross early. You can be a, a youth volunteer, and you can help people and get to know the program. If if the Red Cross is what you want to do, but there are lots of save the children, feed the children, UNICEF. Um, just so many organizations out there, if Red Cross isn't the one for you, you know, do your research, find the place that you think you can fit in, and and just go for it. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. Well, Bonnie, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today, and it's been such a pleasure. I'm so happy you got to come camping with us, too. That was really exciting. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.